This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and I have a co-host slash guest today, Carl uh, called in sick again. I think he's working on his house, or he could be at the beach. I'm not sure. I heard waves whenever he called in, but <laughs> nevertheless, I have my friend Mark joining me today. So how's it going? It's going awesome. And we've we've met a couple couple of times. I think it was about a year ago when I first met you at Economy. Is that, does that ring a bell? Yeah, back? I think it was Economy the first time. Yeah. Okay. And then since then, I've seen you, uh, whatever, 10 times at different events and stuff. And finally, we worked it out. You were driving through town and I was like, hey, you should come by and we could just do a bit of an interview. So this is going to be part interview. And then Mark, you have an interest in podcasting. So we're going to talk about that. It's one of my passions and I have a couple podcasts. So we'll dig into some of the details, including like hosting, equipment, uh, leveling, editing, some of the technical side of it as well, and probably some of the general concepts. So I appreciate you coming out. And before we get into uh, the podcasting stuff, we are going to hear about your sort of FI journey, why you're in personal finance, why you went to economy and some of the other things. So um, before we hit that specifically, what's your background like uh, professionally and yeah, so yeah. yeah, so I'm an older guy. <laughs> I am I will be 57 this month as a matter of fact. Right. Um, so yeah, I started uh, I lived in the East Coast, uh, New Jersey, New York area. I worked on Wall Street. I actually started my job in 1987 and if you know what happened in 1987, it was an interesting time, Black Monday and everything. And I was uh, working at uh, a securities firm, and um, I was actually on the margin desk on Black Monday, which was kind of an interesting, oh, wow. uh, yeah, interesting day. I was a management trainee, so I didn't really know what was going on, but it was of interest for sure. Um, but eventually, I got into portfolio management. I managed a mutual fund for twenty, oh, twenty, almost twenty-five years, uh, and I retired at the end of uh, twenty fifteen. At the age of 50, which was my goal. Of course, my daughter says she's going to retire at 49. I ask why, and she's like, because <laughs> it's less than you. Uh, um, but yeah, so, uh, but I, I wasn't really, I was always into personal finance, but I had to kind of figure it out on my own. Like my wife and I, um, we kind of did all the wrong stuff. You know, you're, you're working on Wall Street, you're seeing everyone with fancy cars and, and, uh, you know, getting driven to work and, eating out at fancy places, fancy clothes and all that. So it's spend, spend, spend. It's not save, save, save for Wall Street, really, for the people that are on the street. And so I kind of had to learn how to do that over time because we overextended ourselves. We had credit card debt. We, you know, had our own wedding or paid for our own wedding and and all kinds of, you know, wrong moves at the beginning. But eventually, you know, read books like uh, The Wealthy Barber, The Millionaire Next Door and and those were really the two books that were kind of influential. And like, hey, wait a minute, we need to, if all we need to do is, um, you know, 
spend less than we earn and this will work out. And so we basically start off with 10% and then 20% and then eventually it was more in like the 30s, but it was never really like 50% or 60%. Um, but it was, you know, basically invest in equities, max out your 401k and wake up, you know, a bunch of years later and guess what? You're FI. <laughs> right. How many years were you sort of misguided in making, you know, the quote mistakes where you were uh, running the credit card debt, for example? Yeah. So um, I would say we didn't really start to figure it out in earnest until our late 20s. Um, so it's still good, but that's why I like to talk to people even younger than that and say, you know, you got a bunch of time ahead of you if, uh, if you start doing this at a much earlier age, you know, cause people are like, Oh, how did you retire at 50? I'm like, well, I can tell you how you can retire even earlier right. <laughs> if you start earlier than I did. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoy, you know, talking to the younger people, but yeah, I would say it was late twenties before we kind of really got on the. This is how we do it. And and there were no podcasts. There were no book. I mean, there were some books, but um, the internet wasn't a thing. Right. Uh, so we were just learning this on our own and we were the weirdos. You know, all our friends are like, well, you guys are weird, you know. And is it safe to assume you had a pretty high salary yeah. in your- Yeah. I mean, you know, you hear a mutual fund manager and you think millions of dollars. I, I worked for a very small company and it was, you know, what you would consider what an engineer might make today. You know, it was not- um, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions. It was not anything of that nature. It was, okay. you know, a good, solid, you know, low six-figure kind of salary. And and um, I was making that for a number of years. And and my wife was for a while until we moved to Colorado. We actually, I actually quit my job in 2008 and said, I'm done, I'm moving. And I ended up still working for them remotely. But she um, you know, stopped working at that time. And actually for a period of time while our daughter was young, she was not working as well. So, okay. So it was kind of on and off. It wasn't too full, you know, high incomes the whole way through. Got it. And I think, I mean, that parallels a little with, with me, I think, um, yeah, I made some dumb decisions, had some credit card debt and just, you know, borrowed money to buy a you know, the truck actually that you saw. Out I, like, there. I like your truck. I don't, I don't let anyone give you a hard time about it. I have an F-250, so it's right. old yeah. though. It's 2004 and has peeling paint, but. Okay. Well, I got a, two, it's a 2005. <laughs> Hello. Out there. It, looked, yeah, it looks a lot better than my 2004. <laughs> That's sure. um, oh yeah. But basically late twenties, I kind of got my act together a little bit when I met my wife, who is a lot more financially savvy, mm -hmm. uh, just generally. And then I, I did a better job, worked for a few years. And then I think it was around when I was maybe like 35 or so. That's when I got laid off and got more interested in entrepreneurship and stuff. And then it like, you know, sort of changes the trajectory um, when you get out of the corporate job. But yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so. we basically stayed in the corporate world the whole way. So okay. I actually worked for the same. So I worked for, let's see, I worked for one company when I got, got out of school. I went to work for another company for a few years. And then I basically worked for the same fund from that point forward until I left in 2015. So I was with the same kind of organization. There was one kind of ownership change in there, but... Um, for 25 years or something. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Kind of unheard of yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Doesn't totally. Even make sense. But, you know, it was, and, and I, you know, 
really uh, appreciate the person that hired me because he sat me down and I was working in a company before that that didn't have a 401k plan or anything. And he said, look, we have this 401k plan. Um, you should you know, contribute to it. In fact, they match dollar for dollar um, all the way up to the max. Uh, there was no cap on the dollar for dollar match. Um, and also they have profit sharing. So in many wow. cases, you would get another 50% on top of that at the end of the year. And that didn't last long, but but for a number of years at the beginning it was. And um, and then I went home and said to my wife, I'm like, do you have one of these 401k things? Because it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I think we do. So she maxed out then as well. And that was back in, I think we started doing that. That was before we kind of figured everything out, but that was one of the things we did right early. And we both were basically 401k millionaires when we left work. So got it. And yeah, same deal. We, we did a pretty good job. I think we got a little, um, like cold feet or whatever in maybe the mid to the aughts, I think we call it. Yeah, like 2005, 2006. Like my wife and I put a bunch in when we first started working, maxing out our 401ks. And then we saw like pretty flat a uh, couple years there. And I think we like dialed it back, or at least I dialed it back a little bit, which is obviously a mistake now looking back. Like what would have happened if I just would have kept maxing it out like indefinitely. But yeah, one, one of that. the big you know things for us was kind of um, my mother turned me on to, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway back in the late 90s. And I learned a lot um, from reading the, I've read every end report that's come out since, well, not since 1965, but I've sure. gone back and read them Got it. Um, and gone to the annual meetings and so forth. And that was kind of my, you know, I, I call him a mentor. It's not a person, one-on-one right. -on -one mentor, but I learned an awful lot um, from there. And that kind of helped set the way as well. One thing that you haven't mentioned is a portfolio of real estate. Uh, it sounds like you didn't go that route. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've always, for the most part, owned our own home, but that's the extent of it. We've never been landlords. It's never been of interest. You know, people even say, since I live in Crested Butte, I live in a ski town, you know, people are like, oh, you should, you know, Airbnb your house. And it's just not for me. You know, I don't want, you know, I don't want having friends and family over, but I don't want to be a landlord to people, you know, it's just not my thing. And, and I was, you know, my wife and I were able to do it, uh, the traditional way of just through, you know, basically investing, um, and not having to, you know, financial investments and not have to, um, do the real estate game. I think there were, there was definitely a time where I read a whole bunch of material on it and I was looking at it. And of course I was looking in my backyard and in New York, it didn't make sense. The math just didn't work. So I just kind of said, I'm not going to do it because it didn't work in my backyard. Um, and then, you know, it was always the, well, what? I don't want to be, you know, running over there in the middle of the night and fixing stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we've done very well on our personal real estate um, just because we pay attention, I would say. You know, so we bought our first house kind of as a house hack as I look back at it. You know, my uh, mother-in-law, um, she had to sell her house and we were like, before you buy, because she's like, I'm just going to buy another house. And she would have been house rich and cash poor. And we said, no, 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 don't do that. Why don't you come and live with us for a year, kind of figure it out, what are you going to do? And, and by the way, you know, her uh, CPA actually said, you know, why doesn't she buy part of the house and then gift to you um, it as part of the, um, you know, annual or lifetime exclusion? Um, 
and and then we paid her back. But the idea was at the time you didn't have this uh, tax free sale of a home. You had to put it into another home. So she effectively bought the other home on paper, mm-hmm. um, and avoided a bunch of taxes as a, as a result. But that we also didn't have to put a down payment on it as a result. So that worked out. We ended up paying her back. You know everything. But um, and then the second house was a foreclosure, and I wrote a blog post about it. It's called "Who Let That Lifestyle Creep In?" because it was, you know. Uh, Huge house. It made a lot of sense from a cost per square foot, but it was a massive, massive project. And we we ended up doing pretty well on it because we sold it in 2006. I was working, um, I was on the equity side of our fund company and the fixed income guys were in the mortgage area and they were talking about at the board meetings, all this stuff that was going on. And I'm like, this doesn't sound really good. And this house was just completed and we didn't really feel like the need for it anymore and we're like you know what i think i think if we're gonna sell this house we need to do it now my wife is like like when like now like when and like a year or two i'm like no like right now and so we did we sold it in 2006 moved into a rental of course all of our friends you know again we were kind of on this fi journey and no one really knew what that was all about and they're like you guys okay i mean you sold your house you've moved into the small rental i'm like nah, we're just kind of figuring things out and then later when the shit hit the fan everyone's like you knew this was coming how come you didn't tell us about this i'm like we thought it would be bad but we didn't think it would be like this and then when we moved to crested butte we rented and that was in 2008 and then we ended up buying a short sale in 2011 and that thing is more than quadrupled since we bought it now so we got very lucky on our own real estate we don't count that as part of our fi portfolio um, but that is the only extent of real estate that we've really done is personal residence. Okay. Yeah. Perfect timing. I mean, that's amazing. The years that you, uh, purchased. It, you know, it's, I, I look at it from the same standpoint as you would when, you know, I was an equity analyst, right? So I look at stocks and I look at them from the standpoint of how much are the earnings, how much do I have to pay for those earnings? And you can kind of do that on, you know, personal residences as well. It's, you know, what am I paying for and what would be the rental alternative? And does it make sense to buy this house or does, would it be better to rent here? So, you know, the rent buy equation. So we, we were doing our math on it and, you know, and we were also making sure it was a decision of a place that we wanted to be. Um, okay. And we always told ourselves, you know, we need to be here for at least five years to make it work kind of thing. So. And you attend a lot of uh, events like like I do also. And there are a lot of people, a lot of speakers that are deep into real estate. And I walk out of some of those talks and I think, well, I got to get into real estate, even though I have very low to zero interest in doing that. Why do you think real estate is such an attractive option uh, for the FI journey or even from an investment standpoint? But maybe focus on the FI journey. Yeah, so I think two for two reasons. The first one I, I actually really like, and I, if I knew about it at the time, it's kind of the house hack. Because I think for someone just starting out, that makes so much sense. You know, buy a house, have some roommates. Um, maybe they're not going to cover the whole cost, but they're going to reduce your cost quite a bit. And housing is one of the big three, you know, housing, transportation, and food, right? So if you can kind of dial that back a little bit with a house hack, that makes a lot of sense. But going out and buying additional properties, it, like I said, it doesn't make sense for me. It's just not something I'm interested in. I think the reason it's of interest to a lot of people is because it sounds easy, although I would argue it's probably not as easy as it sounds. Um, and it really is just a form of leverage. 
I mean, you're using leverage to get there faster. Um, and in many cases, it works out for people. It's just not something that was of interest to me. So my financial portfolio has never been leveraged. Um, so it would be the same as if I leveraged my financial portfolio, right? And that can go bad. <laughs> um, and certainly real estate can go wrong too. But I think people are willing to take that risk. And as long as it's a, a risk that they've done their homework on, I think it can work. It just, it's not for me. That's all. Cool. Yeah. And we're, we're both in support of, uh, real estate. I think we're, mm -hmm. we're okay oh, yeah. saying that. Um, yeah, but I, I don't want to do the extra work. I'm not specifically lazy. <laughs> I'll work hard on certain things, yeah. but I definitely, and I, I have been a landlord and, uh, it was a property that I bought in 2005, the very end of 2005. So pretty close to as bad of a time as you could buy a, buy a house. And yeah, it didn't work out. Didn't have a great time with it. I know um, it can be very profitable. I didn't understand what I was doing and I made a lot of mistakes, but generally I may not get as good of returns potentially uh, in the stock market. I, I'm an index fund person, um, but, but it's a lot more hands-off and I like that hands-off. That's what I like. I mean, to me, the, you know, I, I was on a call, I'm, well, I'm on Amberly's call, Fin talks a lot, you know? Okay. And we, we were talking about real estate and well, it was really more like how do you hire people to fix stuff? And everyone was talking about this, that, and the other. And I'm like, that's why I don't do any of this stuff because it's, I don't have any interest in, in this at all. Um, but it's, um, it, it works for people that it works for and for other people, it's fine not to do it, you know? And, and I think that, um, you know, it can definitely be a very, a, a quicker avenue to financial independence. Um, and I also looked at it and say, you know, it's, it's easy for me looking back, you know, 57 years in the mirror and saying, you know, it's not so bad if you get to FI in your forties or fifties, it's, it's, it doesn't have to happen in your thirties or forties, you know, so right. it doesn't need to be so fast. And that's why I really enjoy, uh, reading and listening to people like in the coast fi uh, space and so forth, kind of having that balance. And the one thing I, I haven't mentioned is that my wife did pass away last year and she had cancer for two years. And I am so glad that we lived a life of balance um, on our journey. So we did not have that aggressive, you know, 50 or 70% savings rate and say, oh, we'll do all these things in the future. We did them all as we were on the road to financial independence. And I'm, and I tell everyone today that um, as many people that are willing to listen, that if you have that approach, you won't have any regrets no matter what happens. So not that I, you know, hope anything that like that happens to anyone, but if it does, you won't turn around and have any regrets. And that's, that's kind of the key in life is to have no regrets. That is awesome. Sorry to hear about your wife. I know, um, like you said, sort of the, the time freedom that you were, um, that you had because you were, uh, did you hit five by that? Oh point? yeah. So yeah. You, so that was, okay. um, I mean, actually, you know, I found out about the financial independence community after I retired. Okay. So I retired and said, yeah, I think I have enough. And then I started reading, you know, early retirement now and all these things. Okay. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? I think I was 
FI probably in my 40s. <laughs> kind of looking back, I realized I was way ahead of where I thought I was. But the true, and I wrote a post about this too, the, the, and it was more about my dad because he was in hospice. And I basically, um, I was in Colorado, he was in New Jersey, and I picked up and I moved there for six months just to be with him in his last six months. And I was like, this is what financial independence is about. It's not about the money. It's not about buying stuff. It's about being able to to control your time the way you want. And then when my wife was, um, she basically had a two-year battle with cancer, and we were back and forth between, I mean, all of the doctors are here in Denver, not in um, Crested Butte. And um, that's how I met a lot of people in the financial independence community, because those people helped us with housing and so forth. And um, But the fact that that's all I could was able to focus on. I didn't have to worry about going to work. I didn't have to worry about a boss breathing down my neck. Like, where's that report? You know, mm-hmm. all we were focused on was, you know, her, you know, her healthcare. Okay. And so, yeah. So that's where I find the whole financial independence is so valuable. It's not being able to buy stuff. Right. And I, I, I can't remember if I've told you this, Mark, um, but my mom passed away. Um, Almost two years ago, just before she was diagnosed with cancer, I went with my parents' road trip up to Alaska. Mm. So we we drove up from here in Longmont, and I took like six weeks off and had a great time. It, it was a blast. My wife came to join us. She couldn't get as much time off, um, but she came to join us in Anchorage. And then I think like a month after we got back, she got the diagnosis and then she, she lived for about another year. But just like you said, I was able to go back to Atlanta um, multiple times through the year. They were able to come out here. I had a clear calendar. I could do whatever I needed to do. Um, so like you said, it's the freedom with time. Yeah. People are going to get sick. Yeah. Like, shit's going to happen. And like being able to do that and not having to like negotiate with your boss or whatever to make it work. Yeah, I, I like that equation. Financial independence equals time freedom. And I'm just, you know, putting that together as you said that, but um, that is, that is really what it's about. Yeah. So let's transition. You said that is sort of how you got into the, the FI community. So yeah. Can you tell a little bit more about, you know, how you met some of the folks and started to get integrated? Yeah. So actually, um, I went to, let's see, trying to see. So I, I, I'm trying to think of the timeline here. So I went to a Camp Fi Rocky Mountain back in 2019. But before that, I found out about the Choose Fi community and, and the Denver community and so forth. And I wasn't really, you know, involved that much because I'm in Crested Butte. We don't really have a financial independence community in Crested Butte. But if anyone wants to start one out there, come on out. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> um, so I was kind of in the Denver you know, um, space as far as the choose FI group goes. And then when, you know, we were at the hospital and my wife was diagnosed with this, um, sarcoma she had on her arm and it was removed. And they said, you're starting radiation, uh, like this week. And we're like, like for how long and how does that work? And they're like, Oh, it's every day. Um, five days a week. It's only 15 minutes, but it's here in Denver. And we're like, um, where are we going to (laughs) stay? (laughs) 
And they're like, well, you know, there's some places that we might have, but you better start, you know, figuring that out. So I reached out to the Choose FI community, knowing that so many people are in the real estate space and say, does anyone have like a place or anything that we could rent? And, and Amberly Grant actually wrote back and said, yeah, I've got an Airbnb that I just bought and I'd be happy for you guys to come and stay here. And so we worked out, worked it out and we stayed there for seven weeks and got to know her. And I said, you know, I'm going to this Camp Fi thing. It sounds like it might be of interest to you too. And she's like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So, okay. you know, that's, you know, how it started in the, you know, I'd say the FI community. Uh, and then, you know, just, you know, reading blogs and so forth. And then basically for two years, we were focused on that. But I was involved in, you know, Amberly's Fin Talks group since day one. So actually, um, Doc G did an interview with us on on that um, Fin Talks thing. Um, so that that's how the community evolved um, for me. And then um, once uh, my wife passed away, I, uh, Amberly was actually going up to um, Camp Five Midwest and speaking. She's like, you know what? Might be really good if you get out of town. Why don't you just come on up? I'm going to be speaking. We can hang out. And there was only like 30 people going, so it was a small one. And so I went, and that's actually where I met Doc G. He was the first person I met there, and I was like, this is perfect. You know, being a hospice doctor, it was like the perfect wow. person to meet um, because literally my wife had passed away the month prior, and then um, I had also signed up for Camp Five Southwest, which was a month later. Um, just because I was like, I just need to keep moving, you know, kind of keep traveling and keep um, my interests up and not just go into a, you know, a malaise and mm -hmm. sit in the house because people sometimes do that. Right. Um, and I wanted to avoid that. And these were this. This was a great community to hang out with. I was really having a great time, and and that's where I met like Joe Salcihi and you know stuff like that, and a whole bunch of great people. And so now I've just been going to more and more of them. I think this weekend will be my seventh or something like that. But wow! So the, the people got you there, but the food keeps you. Oh yeah, right? it's all about well, especially in Southwest. This one is at Julian, and it's at this camp. And and Joe has mentioned, I think, like three or four times on his podcast how the beds are like super thin, <laughs> and you have to bring your own like linens and stuff. Thank so you. yeah, so I mean, you can rent them, but it was like forty dollars. I'm like, I'll throw a sleeping bag in my backpack, you know. So, um, but yeah, it's not about the food, and it's not about <laughs> the sleeping arrangements. That's for sure. But the community is awesome. Yeah. And the Rocky Mountain one, the beds are relatively comfortable. I yeah, think. that one I thought was actually my my daughter and I spoke at this one this year, so that was okay. that was kind of a fun thing. And um, we'll link up because that's on the uh, Camp Fi YouTube channel, right? Uh, yeah, I think he's releasing that one soon. He said, I think that's his next one on his list. He's trying to do one a month, and okay, um, but yeah. Yeah, shout out to Steven. So we'll link up. I know he's been publishing more, which is awesome to yeah. see because um, not everyone can make it to the different uh, camp fives out there. Yeah. Have you been to all the different locations now? So I've been to I've been to Florida. Um, I forget what town that is in. Um, and that one's pretty good. The food, actually, that one is pretty good. And it's not yeah. bad. The beds were not great. And it seems like it feels very humid. Everything yes. seems wet yeah. down there. Yeah, it did. But, uh, yeah. Especially um, coming from Colorado. Yeah. But. So... Um, and then Midwest is in Minnesota, um, which is a great venue. And this year, so there's another group I belong to, which is, um, Roger Whitney has a podcast called the retirement answer man. He has this group called the rock retirement club and I'm a member of that club. And, and so I convinced, um, 
myself and another person who had been to Camp Fi convinced a couple of those people to come. So we're trying to bring all these groups together. So oh, really, really ulterior motive. But okay. um, so we went up there and hung out for a couple of days ahead of time. And that's an awesome venue up there. Um, okay, and then, yeah, so that's in Minnesota. Um, and then Southwest is in Julian, California, and then Rocky Mountain. So those are the venues I've been to. I've gotcha. not been to Virginia. Okay. Where's the one in Virginia? Do you know? I don't know. Did you go to that one? I did not. Oh. No, no. <laughs> I've only, I've been to Rocky Mountain in Florida. So I, I want to try to get try, to some of the Go others. to Midwest. It's pretty cool. It's a cool venue. Okay. I'll check. And it's uh, Columbus Day weekend. So it was like a month ago. Okay. So it's so always I have a, I have a year though. to yeah. <laughs> figure it yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, there's only so many trips that I can tell that my wife will let me take. Yeah. But, um, and she hasn't come to any of them. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I'm sure I'd signed up for Rocky mountain week one this okay. year. So hopefully, or 2023. Yeah. So hopefully you'll me be too. at that one. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. Good. I do have my ticket for that. last year. You were at the other one. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I missed you. Um, but I guess Steven will add more if he needs to. Yeah. Okay. So, when and then of course I got to give a huge shout out to uh, MMMHQ the oh, events sure. there. I mean, I've been to a number of events there and met a whole bunch of great people, um, and those events are just fabulous. So they're yeah, and the ones that you know you hosted with Jordan and didn't you? Did you record the one with Joe Salci? I forget that was you guys recording. Technically, yeah, uh, well, it, Carl it was, yeah, 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 yeah. Mindy was our AV right, person right. that day, but Carl right. does an awesome job. So. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah. For me, it's so convenient. It's only like a mile and a half, two miles away. And yeah, a lot of people come from, you know. I know. I keep saying away. if I move to the front range, <laughs> it's going to be somewhere around here. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great spot. And yeah, we're doing, it seems like more events now as people pass through town. And if people want to check that out, um, there's a meetup group. I think it's the NOCO Mustachians, yeah. Northern Colorado yep. Mustachians. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I think people join that that are not very well, I'm close not. by. I'm, I'm in it. <laughs> and I'm five hours away. Yeah. So. so if you keep an eye on it, and some people have traveled from like a pretty long way, yeah. like many states away, yeah. like taken flights or driven a day to get over for some of the events. Um, but it's pretty cool. So there are some big, uh, big names or podcasters mm -hmm. or authors or whatever. Even um, just, yeah. I mean, there's smaller events too that are great too. So it doesn't have to be the, the big name. It's not about the big names. It's about the people. <laughs> That's true. It would be funny though, if someone, you know, drove like six hours just for the normal happy hour, which they do happen <laughs> occasionally. And it's just. Well, yeah. usually if someone's passing through, I'm sure they'll yeah. stop in or whatever, but. Yeah. Awesome. So as we uh, move on, before we hit the podcasting stuff, one other thing that um, you mentioned is giving back. And I'll just kind of leave it open and you can explain you know, what that means to you and why it's so important and a priority for you. Yeah. So a couple of things I think kind of started that off. And one was, as I mentioned, that person that, you know, suggested to max out my 401k and here I was somebody, I had no clue what it was. And, and so I realized how valuable that was giving, you know, that person who was, you know, 20 years older than me, <clears throat> giving me that suggestion. And, and it certainly was a huge, huge life benefit. So now what I like to do is uh, I've done a couple of things. I have some nieces and nephews and I kind of, you know, mentor them in the, in the money space, I guess you would say. And I actually opened up UTMA accounts for them when they were 
kids and mm-hmm. kind of showed them how compounding works. And what, what's UTMA? Uh, so Uniform Gift to Minors Act or Uniform Trust to Minors Act. So it's basically a brokerage account. It's a custodial account where I'm in that case because they're a minor. I was the custodian or the uh, and then um, when they turn 18 or 21, depending on what state they're in, it's their money. So I basically at, in in their cases it was 21. So I wrote a little letter saying, <clears throat> you know, the balance of this account was a result of just putting a hundred dollars away. Um, for your birthday and Christmas every year, and here's what it is. And it was thousands of dollars. It was like seven, eight thousand dollars or whatever it was. And that's the value of compounding. You know, instead of all those little gifts that you probably would never have remembered, um, this is what it can be. And then, of course, I say, you know, it, it's your money. You can do whatever you want. Um, but I would suggest, you know, you might consider continuing down that path. So some of them use it to open up their Roth IRAs and so forth. So that was kind of one kind of give back. But one thing I did was uh, when I retired, a neighbor who is a guidance counselor at the local high school said, you know, and I'm also a certified financial planner. So I have some, you know, uh, ability to understand these concepts and said, um, would you like to um, help uh, volunteer teach this junior achievement class in the high school. And I'm like, yeah, sure. sounds okay. I'll do that. And I got in there and it was really basic. It was like how to write a check and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? These are high school kids. Actually, they're seniors in high school ready to go out in the real world. And I said, would you mind if I like, you know, use some of my CFP background to kind of teach them some really more higher level stuff. And of course, uh, I also wanted to teach them kind of the financial independence approach to things and index funds and so forth. Um, and she's like, yeah, sure. You can do that. And then that following year, she said, um, we're not doing junior achievement anymore. We're going to do your class and you need to write a curriculum for it, you know, cause we had other volunteers. So I had to write a class that not only, you know, that I could teach, but that other people could teach without knowing all this. And eventually those, uh, two other, uh, volunteers said, you know, I think the class would benefit if you, if you were the teacher to all the classes. And that's what I did. So I've been doing that for seven years. Um, so it's funny. It's like a seven week financial literacy class at the high school for seniors. And, okay. and we talk about, you know, everything from taxes to insurance, to student loans, to, you know, certainly, um, network statements and tracking your expenses and, all kinds of stuff. So it's super fun and get a really good feedback from not only the kids, but the parents, the parents come and it's a, it's a small town. So yeah. now parents come to me and say, you know, I was thinking about opening up a Roth IRA. How do I do that? And so I show them and I don't, I don't make any money. I've never made a dime since I stopped working. So my whole goal is just to give back to the community. Okay. And you said it's a seven week course. Yeah. How many hours per week? So it's like a one uh, one, one, whatever class. Okay. Like 50 50 minutes. minutes, Yeah. Okay. So seven hours basically. And then is that curriculum? Do you make it available to other people? Yeah. I mean, I can give it to anyone. Yeah. Okay. I, the only thing I do is I'd share it with plenty of people, but I just say, do not monetize this. This is for helping other people in, and many people ask for it for their family or mm-hmm. friends or whatever, and that's fine. But, uh, and I had to do it over Zoom uh, two years ago because of, you know, COVID and everything. So actually have it all recorded. And that's actually one of the things I was thinking about doing because someone said, you know, you should just put it up on your website. And so that's another thing that I would like to figure out at some point. But yeah, well, 
we could talk about it right now. So it fits mm -hmm. in perfectly, uh, giving back. And that's exactly where my brain was heading. I was like, have you recorded it already? How hard would it be to record it? And yeah, like if your goal is to just teach as many people as possible, you know, throw it on YouTube, make it free. Yeah. And there's actually, so this other group I'm in the rock retirement club, they do like, um, um, what would you call it? Educational programs and stuff. And, and one of the, um, hosts of that program wanted to see it for their own child. And she's like, you know, you, I can help you make this into a course. I was like, as long as it's not going to be sold, as long as it's going to be free for everybody. She's like, yeah, I could probably help you do that. So it is definitely on one of those things that's on my kind of like to do list. But again, I'm not monetizing anything. So sometimes things kind of go by the wayside because I don't really have a, a profit motive on any of this yeah. stuff. It's just helping people. So. Right. Sometimes I need that little nudge, like, hey, you know, let's get that going. <laughs> a little bit. Well, do you want to make a commitment now? How soon can we see it out there published? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it could be. Soon. Well, like I said, it's all in YouTube, right? I mean, not YouTube. It's all was recorded on Zoom. It wouldn't take much to yeah. get it out there. It'd be pretty, yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, okay, cool. You ready to transition into sure. the podcast and yeah. stuff? So I'll give you a little background on my podcasting experience. So I'll actually rewind before that. So I had a blog that I started. I have a blog that I started in 2013 called Niche Site Project, and it's about affiliate marketing and SEO. And I learned a lot of things from podcasts. So I always had like a, a warm spot in my heart for podcasts. And I thought, oh, I want to start one, but I knew it would be a little too much. I had a full-time job at the time. And I just put it on the, you know, the back of my mind, Hey, at some point I definitely want to start a podcast. Well, it took me a little while. I didn't start my podcast called the Doug show until 2019. However, a couple of years before that, I did start messing around on YouTube a little bit more. So about 2017, I was doing some YouTube stuff that'll come into play in a second. So 2019, I start my own podcast, two shows per week. I do a handful of solo shows and a handful of interviews. Um, I interviewed our friend Carl Jensen a couple times because I met him at the co-working space, Mr. Money Mustache HQ. And we had a good time. I actually invited him on a second time and we had a good rapport. It was good timing. He was kind of interested in podcasting. So I, I pitched him like, hey, do you want to, it was literally after the interview, immediately after the interview. And I was like, do you want to start a show? Like we can talk about some ideas, but I think we have a good chemistry and we could talk about a variety of different topics. At this point, we've done over a hundred shows and it's pretty fun. My other show, The Doug Show has about 400. So I have a lot of uh, podcasting, experience. The YouTube comes into play a little bit because a lot of people do just publish on YouTube directly. Sometimes it's the full show. Sometimes it's just clips. And because I had the YouTube experience and all the equipment, we just record the video and the audio is right there. We know that it's going to go in both formats, so we typically don't. You know, we're not showing like charts and graphs or anything. Yeah, like I that. mean it's it's awesome. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at all your <laughs> stuff. It's it's a pretty cool setup, and I know everyone out there can't see it, but it is it's pretty wild. Good job. There's thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it, and now I've made it far more complicated than it needs to be. So when I first started the podcast, 
I used a small recorder called a Zoom H4n and it was used it's probably it was probably 5 or 6 years old when I bought it I got it under $100 on eBay and I could plug in a mic to the to the bottom with an XLR which is sort of like the right. industry yeah. standard mm-hmm. um you can just record right into the top but you know relatively cheap um and then I made it more complicated. Like here we have the ability to record uh, up to four microphones. We have 4K video recording, but it can be very straightforward where, you know, you're recording into a webcam or maybe your laptop, or maybe you don't do video at all. And the equipment, you know, you can get what you need really for under a hundred dollars. I mean, if you're recording directly into a laptop, you can just get a USB type microphone, like a audio technica 2100 X. Yeah. And that's actually the one that I have. I have that microphone. I've used it with audacity on a, on a Mac and just straight lined right into the Mac and that's fine. But then I have looked at other things and I'm kind of, you know, an old school audiophile. So I kind of like, you know, the news bells and whistles and doesn't bother me to spend a couple hundred bucks on something. So perfect. So we have a a couple areas. So I have a a little experience with podcasting and with video as well. And we can go through some of the areas. I know we talked about hosting and uh, some of the equipment, which we talked about. There's the matter of like directories. So people could actually find your show. Um, a little bit about editing too, which is kind of a, a bigger topic. And that's one thing that could be pretty difficult, time consuming, or very expensive if you outsource it, which you could outsource almost mm-hmm. anything, but you'll pay for it. Right. So do you have any specific questions that we could kind of go through? Yeah, I guess, you know, to give you some background on what, why even go down this road. Right. Right. Um, so, like I said, I have this blog that I started writing. I think it was, I went to FinCon in 2018. I'm going to be a blogger. This is going to be the coolest thing for not for profit. I don't have any advertising or anything. It was just because I wanted to kind of um, put something down so my daughter could see it later at a later date, kind of the whole JL Collins approach. I didn't know he was doing the same thing. I think that was before his book and everything, but what's the blog called? Uh, so the blog is marksmoneymind.com. Um, and so I was just kind of out there writing stuff. And my nieces and nephews, the same ones who were, had these accounts, were saying, you know, it would be great if you could just write this stuff down so that we wouldn't have to call you with all the same questions. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to this FinCon thing. You know, blogging sounds interesting. Maybe I'll do that. Um, but I find that, um, and and it went on hiatus while my wife was ill. And, and of course, I go to these... Um, uh, campfires and so forth and have this very cool, you know, um, uh, logo that, uh, Dave from accidental fire put together for me. And, you know, and they're like, Oh wow, you must be like big time bloggers. I'm like, no, not really. I just have a logo, you know? (laughs) And, um, but I've thought about, and people are like, well, you need to resurrect it now that, you know, kind of life is getting back to normal a little bit, you know? And I was like, yeah, all right. So I wrote a post recently just talking about how valuable the community was during this period of time and so forth. But one of the things, you know, I don't read blogs as much anymore. You know, I listen to podcasts, though. So I was like, well, maybe there's a way to either do a podcast or we were talking before we uh, started recording here about, well, maybe it can be recording a podcast, but then 
posting it on the blog. So effectively, it's doing both, right? And I know some people will actually read their blog posts, so people can listen to it in an audio format as well. So it's kind of the idea of it. it to me, it seems like that's kind of where things are going, or where people prefer to get their content is because it's it's on the go. You're not reading a blog while you're driving down the road, but you can listen to a podcast while you're driving down the road. So I was just kind of interested in in kind of understanding how the whole process works, um, and you know, really how how uh, difficult do you need to make it? I mean, can you just basically, like you said, grab a microphone and record some stuff, or do you really need to say no? You really can't do it that way. You need to do a lot of editing, and you got to hire people and intros and outros, and mm-hmm. and again, from the standpoint of doing it not for profit, you know, um, the whole purpose is, like I said, just to give back and. And, you know, I go to these conferences and people like to have conversations and they're like, oh, I'd love to hear more about that. So I was like, well, maybe this is a way to hear more about that. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Yeah. And I like, I mean, you're coming at it in a very generous way and it makes it makes it a little easier because it takes the pressure off um, as far as like, you know, you have to you have to grow it or you have to figure out how to monetize it really effectively or otherwise you're not going to do it. So cool. That's a good jumping off point. So I'll give you sort of a brain dump um, based on what you said, and then we can dive into a couple of the details, which will come up naturally. So I think one of the most important things is making sure it's sustainable. It may not be as high pressure for you because you are just trying to help people. There's not a profit motive here, but a lot of times people make it either a little too tedious so it's not fun and then it's not sustainable and you'll burn out so i think the simplicity is really good so like i mentioned i i was just using a microphone into a pretty cheap recorder and from a production standpoint side note just how my brain works i did record directly into a laptop for a little while using the ATR2100. However, having the laptop in front of me and seeing like the waveform and garage band go up and down, it somehow distracted me and I made more mistakes. When I just took my recorder and a microphone and went into a closet because there's clothes in there and it's a good place to record, there's mm-hmm. not any echoes in there, I did much better. Very few mistakes and almost no editing. That was one of the commitments that I sort of made to myself to do minimal editing, zero editing if possible. So, you know, fingers crossed, Mark, you and I won't make some catastrophic mistake. (laughs) Um, And if not, then I won't edit this. I'll just chop off the very, you know, the first second and then the last second because I hit record or or whatever. But other than that, like we can go with it. And it's not as tight of an episode as some of the uh, more produced shows. Yeah, but it sounds more like, you know, when you and Carl talk, it's it's like you're sitting there in my living room, which yeah. is great, which is what I like, you know, and some of the other shows that I listen to that I love that are a little bit more production quality. I mean, they're great. I get a lot of um, information out of it, but it, it sounds like a show as opposed to two guys in a basement hanging out with me. Right. For, you know, and I'm just not physically there. And that, yeah, and that's what we want. Those are the shows that I typically really enjoy. I listen to other shows also, but I really like the 
casual, authentic, like you can go off on a tangent just like we would in a normal conversation. And a lot of shows will edit those parts out so they have a tighter show. Or they stick them at the end as a bonus right. track or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're lucky, I mean there there are a handful of the shows that I have been on, they edit it out like whatever, 15 minutes. It's a, their shows are way bigger than anything that I'm doing. Um, so certainly there's value in trimming out the fat and being concise. Not everyone wants that. And it's much easier from a production standpoint to just publish it. Don't make any big mistakes. And, you know, because it is casual, if we accidentally say this wrong word or something like that, we could just correct it, maybe make fun of each other a little bit and just keep moving forward. That's how like it would be if we were sitting in a room. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the podcasts that I enjoy the most are the ones that are very conversational. Perfect. So I would say lean into that and you'll, you'll be fine. It won't be as stressful. Um, I think I, before we recorded, I mentioned to you that when you're first starting, and you're not used to recording a show, especially if you're by yourself, then you will make more mistakes and you may need to edit a little bit and maybe restate things. That is totally okay. Maybe you record a handful of shows um, that you throw, end up throwing away and just do them again. Uh, you, you're a good speaker and you know what you're talking about. So I think you'll probably do fine. And what I've found is that, you know, like I said, I got some of the recording equipment and just you know, turn it on and talk into it and just, you know, who, you're not saving it. You're not re- saving, you know, recording it for, you know, uh, distribution purposes, but just getting comfortable talking into a microphone, listening to yourself and headphones and, right. you know, and so what if it's delete afterwards, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I have um, been playing around with that and I would continue to do that. Even just, you know, have conversation with somebody else with a microphone so you can get it comfortable, you know, doing that. Um, but I did want to, so I like the idea of just kind of hitting record and letting it go and seeing where it is at the end. Um, but once you do that, what type of, I, I would assume there is some editing. So what is involved in that? How do you do it? Um, you know, are there certain programs that are beneficial to use and so forth? So very, very little editing. We have had to edit a couple, um, a couple interviews where the the person just messed up what they said and they wanted to say it again. We uh, we encourage people not to do that because then we do have to edit it. And we're a very lean shop here. So we, <laughs> we try not to we try not to have to edit. So the other thing is the levels, right? So for people that don't know, you know, we have two microphones here. I did my best to sort of level it. I have the ability to turn the the volume up on each of us. But I move around a little bit, probably more than you. And then yours might be a little louder based on the distance from the microphone. So all that's really important. And we want uh, people to be able to listen and hear us both uh, at the same level. And I would think also just to interject a little bit, if you're interviewing other people that have not necessarily done this a lot, I find that a lot of people will be too far away from the microphone and you're like, move forward. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, I, I've noticed that because I mean, I've watched other like live podcasts, you know, uh, especially at some of these events, we'll do a live podcast and, and I can see the host being like, you need to really hold the microphone like really close. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I have a side story that I'll tell you in a second, but um, t- to answer your question, the top program that I think most podcasters should be using, it's called Auphonic. I'm not an affiliate or anything. I don't even think they have an affiliate program, but it does leveling for you and it removes hum and it does a lot of other like post-production processing for you. So typically I'll run every video or podcast that I do through that and it cleans it up a ton, fixes all the levels. You can use other apps to do it, but it's not typically it takes more steps than the other apps. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I had done some YouTube, uh, work and, uh, you know, research, I guess you would say, uh, on YouTube doing some research and, you know, audacity is a program that a lot of people will, you know, point you to and initially, and, and there is, you know, a, a kind of, you have to go through step one to do this and then immediately do step two and immediately do step three. I mean, it sounds like this is steps one, two, three, and four, all at all in one shot. At least that. Yeah. So you upload the file, it'll do the audio mastering. So just generically, I think that's probably the right term. And so, now is this multi-track or is this like sync? So you're, you're recording in multi-track, right? Technically, I do have multiple tracks that are recording. However, I usually don't have to mess with so multiple it, tracks. So it, it can do it with... You just yes. sending it as a single track as opposed to sending 12 tracks or 10 tracks or whatever and doing each track individually. Because that's what Audacity, you would have to do it. Right. Each track. Yes. Yeah. So that's the big thing. So technically, I have I have the separate tracks if we need them. But generally, I'll just upload the, the video file and then it'll fix the levels on the video file and it'll also output an MP3. Okay. So it does all, all the things that I need. So that that's great. So I have those two files. The other big thing is it will automatically send those files to certain places I need them to go. One of them is YouTube. So I don't have to download like a multiple gig file. Well, don't you get it back first and re- review it? Or you just assume that it's good to go? Because it sounds like you're going to upload it and have them just go ahead and send it. So yeah. you're not reviewing it after it's been gone, after it's gone through that? Technically, no. Um, we will have a quick uh, spot check. Um, not me personally, but uh, an assistant helps out. A uh, quick spot check on the video side just to make sure there's no like weird things that we didn't realize were on there or something like that. But generally... Uh, I just upload it and then it's it's good to go. And the upload happens automatically. So instead of having to download a big video file, it just goes directly to uh, YouTube, which is very helpful. And then the MP3, it goes to Google Drive in my case, but you can send it to other, you know, uh, Dropbox or wherever else you want it to go. Um, and that just saves a lot of steps in the workflow, even though it's very simple, um, quick stuff, download a file, upload a file. It adds up if you're doing. Oh, yeah, te- especially if there's multiple destinations. Yep. yep. So just the little bit of automation uh, helps a lot. And then, of course, it does the audio mastering. So that one's called Auphonic and it's relatively cheap. I mean, I'm doing. Is it a subscription service or is it a, um, a like a one-off download it is deal. 
they, they have both, but it, I think for, I, I do technically eight shows per month and I pay 11 bucks per month oh, and that okay. pretty much covers mm-hmm. all that I need to do. Yep. You can buy one-off um, packages or whatever, but, but then it's, you got to update it all the time. So, yeah. yeah. And a lot of times what I'll do, I have my normal subscription. And then if I'm ever doing like a large amount of editing in a short time, I may buy like another 20 hours, which is like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or something. Oh, so it's by the, so you buy based on usage levels is yep. what you're saying. Okay. Yep. So yeah, they don't lock you in. It's very uh, adaptable for your usage or whatever you need to do. Okay. So and, and then it sounds like you have an assistant. So let's hear a little bit about how that all works. Sure. So one assistant is um, a video editor, technically. So I did all this other YouTube work and she's worked with me for several years. And I thought, you know what? Generally, she's doing the same kind of editing as what audio editors would do. She's out of uh, the Ukraine and... You know, she, it's a good geo arbitrage. So hopefully she's safe in the Ukraine. Where she is generally, I mean, she's still been able to work and everything, but yeah, I think she's in one of the the more, um, like, just want to make sure that she's doing good. It was definitely, definitely scary, but, and, and we, you know, checked like, hey, can we do anything else? And I've been sending her like extra bonuses and stuff along the way. So she's worked with me for a long time and I thought, Hey, maybe you could do some audio editing too. And yeah, she was like, no, no problem at all. So it fits perfectly. We have a fairly straightforward system where I'll upload files to Google drive and then she'll be able to edit them. And, you know, they have fast computers, fast internet, like no issue with like 4k video or anything. Yeah. And I was going to ask, it sounds like, you know, I, I'm familiar with your show obviously, but, um, you have an introduction and kind of a, you know, an exit um, soundbite uh, or whatever, whether it's a, you know, disclaimer right. or what have you. Um, do you, how do you work that into the podcast? So I have, if I edit anything myself, which occasionally I do, like if I, if I don't need any uh, major edits or anything, I will, um, I have that saved sort of in a template so I could just drag over whatever file and then I'll put the front and back in. And you said you use GarageBand for this, right? So technically I'm (laughs) using another app called ScreenFlow because I'm doing video also. But if it was just a podcast, you could could do it all in GarageBand. Yep. GarageBand, I I don't have any sophisticated tools. So yes, GarageBand is all I'm using. And yeah, you could just set up a template where you have like your intro and outro and that's it. And then when my editor has it, she has the same files so she could put those on in the same way that I do. Okay. And side note on the intros, um, my personal preference is to not have a weird announcer guy do the intros. You know, I've been listening to a couple on the way on my five hour drive and I've noticed some people are now changing their intro. So it's like a sound bite of the show to start the podcast. And then they go into their regular intro. So it's almost like a teaser and then they go into the regular intro and then they, but I agree with you having someone else read it or sounding too, you know, production oriented doesn't 
sit as well as you reading whatever that intro is. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it depends on the show and there's some big shows that have announcers or whatever, but I mean, the, the, uh, the cheesy announcer people, I, th- I feel like a lot of uh, folks maybe- It's like to, Fiverr. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like they went to FinCon or something and they were like, yeah, you just go to Fiverr and you hire this announcer guy to do your promo. And I was like, that guy sounds like a douchebag. And <laughs> like people, uh, like I called my other show, the Doug show, right? Uh-huh. It's like obviously pretty like narcissistic. And it's all about me, right? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was like, I'm not going to have someone else. And w- one thing I, I mentioned, um, well, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I don't, I don't like the announcer types and then putting the sound bites in, that is a great thing to do. It does create more editing that one might have yeah, to do. And so a quick question about, um, music, I guess, um, if you are going to use a piece of music, obviously there's probably, um, licensing requirements and so forth how does that work or i mean you know you hear some people have like a jingle or something is that one that they purchased or had created so that they don't have kind of the issue of using music or and what is the rule against use or you know rule for or against using any kind of you know professional music in your production so consult your lawyer. This is just in entertainment, all that kind of stuff, right? right? But f- in, a, in a general sense, you can just Google uh, like stock uh, music or uh, podcast music or something like that. And you can p- pay for the license and it'll be like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks and you can use it on uh, video for YouTube or wherever, and you could use it audio wise and you could just buy it. So that's what, um, Carl and I did for this show. That's what I did for my other show. Also, it's just a one-time fee and and there's unlimited use. You can use it as much as you want. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then a lot of times they'll have like, you know, a three minute long version, 30 second, and, and there'll be just different, uh, links that you could use for whatever you need to do. You can get some other just, you know, straight up free music, but sometimes you still have to like have a credit link in the description or show notes and you never know like if the licensing is going to change or maybe the, it wasn't obtained in the right way. Or well, that, yeah, that was one of my concerns about even if you buy the rights, do you really have those rights <laughs> so the, the good thing with the the big companies uh which i can't remember which one i use but basically it's very clear they know like where the music came from they know the artists like the the rights are very explicit for whatever you're using and it's very clear what you could use it for so i feel pretty safe on those just yeah. because it's within uh like multiple entities checked on it and all that stuff Uh, Again, relatively inexpensive, Hmm. maybe a hundred bucks. I can't quite remember, but yeah, we just use the same one everywhere and it, it's fine. As far as other music, I know there's some fair use laws and that's where it gets fuzzy Um, with either, you know, even video clips that you show or other things like that. So if you know, you can spend a lot of time looking up fair use. And as far as like using music, I have heard like 
big song like led zeppelin i know that's what i was thinking you know i (laughs) mean if it's in the background is that like you know you get in trouble for that or how does that work you know and i I think like (laughs) from uh let's say we were recording at a bar well that i think you could get away with because that's not you producing that yeah yeah Yeah. so there are like weird things like that but like there are companies you can't see it there's a gibson guitar sitting you can't see it on the video here but i have heard like gibson going after people that showed like the shape of guitars or like the headstock and it's like yeah. we like your guitars guys yeah. like what are you like why right. are you going after your your core well, i'm a big grateful dead fan and they allow taping in the audience or used to and they're not yeah, in yeah. existence anymore and i always always can i use that or because it's what if it's a live tape i mean is that yeah you know did you see um i think it's like the Dead and Company or like yeah, John Mayer, they're going to be in Boulder for like three nights coming up. Yeah, Dead and Company is, I I, I, I mean, I went name. to the original Grateful Dead. Yeah. I was like, you know, old Hippie. enough to do that. So <laughs> yeah, 100 plus shows. So Really? Like, oh yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Man. So nice. I was I was always thinking about a title for a uh, uh, podcast would be Fi on the Mountain. Mm. Like fire in the mountain or even fire in the mountain. But then yeah. I was like, that's actually the title. But you know, if you change it to fi on the mountain, cause I live in the mountains, right? So, Can't or fi in out. the mountains, you know, <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe there's a route. So, yeah. so anyway, <laughs> um, okay. So we talked a little about, um, the editing and a little bit about the leveling and stuff like that. One other thing that I, I want to mention is, you know, it sounds like you'll probably have the same uh, approach, the uh, authentic minimal editing and just kind of roll with it, keep the editing to a minimum. One of the like inspirations when I started my show was uh, Bill Burr. Do you know this comedian, Bill Burr? Uh, no, I don't. Sorry. Okay. So he has, I don't like, get out a lot. I, <laughs> if, if he was in the finance, in the personal finance space, I might know him, but. Okay. Um, so he's, um, he has like one of the, a biggest podcast out there, like just in general. He started in maybe like 2007, 2005. Anyway, he's been doing it for a long time, but he's a stand-up comedian. And his, I mean, his shows are mostly him just rambling and talking about what he's done in the last week. And he does almost no editing. I think he does zero editing because there's some stuff in here that you think, I can't believe he left that in there, but I say that about you guys sometimes too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it's it's living up. Like it's exactly what I imagine. Like really? Okay. um, (laughs) In fact, like he has like a recorder and I think he does record into GarageBand just with like a, you know, a mic interface type deal, but sometimes it won't work. So he just literally records into his iPhone. Well, that's what I was going to ask you if I can just interject while you mention that. So this recorder here, it's a zoom four, I think, right now there's a, uh, um, SD card, right? Is that what you're recording to an SD card or are you bringing it over to the computer? I am bringing it over to the computer. So okay. yeah, it's a PodTrack P4. Oh, PodTrack, right. Okay. And yep, it has a USB interface. Oh, okay. So using it as... Because uh, I know some of these systems allow you to also record on the, the micro SD card and I assume that's for like in the field, but is there a value to be recording it in both locations or does it... As long as yeah. you think your computer's not going to crash, it's fine kind of thing. Yeah. So technically, I can record it on here, and it would be like all separate tracks like in a redundant way. But 
we uh, we just roll with it. Yeah. So I'm okay. assuming it's yeah. not going to get fucked up over there right. on the computer. And so I, well, I just didn't know how important it is to because I see that they're like, oh, you record to SD. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just record to the computer? I don't understand. So. Yeah, so it, it would be good if it was a really, I have recorded a couple times, like when uh, it was a, a really important guest, no offense, Mark, but, uh, <laughs> but it was like a, a very rare occasion. Yeah, you don't want to lose that, right. <laughs> but th- but then I stopped, right? Because yeah. I was like, I've never, like, it's literally always recorded. Yeah, over okay. There. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was, oh, okay. that was just in the, my mind when. No problem. Trying to make sure I hit on all the <laughs> important stuff here. What was I even saying? Do you I have no idea. Okay. So I, I think, so it was like the Bill burst. All oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about the comedian and being legit and not, uh, we were talking about not, uh, oh, it, not editing stuff out. And, oh yeah. So sometimes he actually does just record on his phone if there's like some technical issue. Cause he's on the road and he's in a hotel room. And that, that said, like you can barely tell that he's recording on his phone versus wow. a microphone. And the big thing, you know, is the room that you're in. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, because we're sitting in this room and you've got, you know, blankets up and stuff. And I have the room that, one of my rooms is a vaulted ceiling and it's a wood house and I'm sure it's bouncing all over the walls. And yeah. so, um, yeah, what, how do you create an environment? You mentioned in the closet, and I see that a lot. A lot of people are in the closet when they're yep. <laughs> recording podcasts because I guess it's the clothes in the small space, right? Yep. And, and what you don't want is a lot of hard surfaces. So actually, I mean, I had, do have blankets up here, but it's just, if you could imagine, it's for aesthetic reasons, <laughs> even though it looks kind of okay. shitty. But I even noticed like here, like you have it on the tables too. So, because the same thing could happen, right? It, it probably would be fine. The thing is, um, these tables look crappy. So every, <laughs> I'm just trying to cover everything up, to be honest okay, with you. Okay, now we know. Yeah. Now we know the real deal. So, And of course, this is really important. We've got to have this. Yeah, we have a ball here, <laughs> uh, one of Carl's editions. But the thing, so we're in a basement and there's insulation on the walls that's a couple inches thick or a few inches thick. So that basically takes care of that. Um, the concrete floor, we do have some rugs here, but generally that wasn't an issue either. And there are like flooring joists above us. Uh, and that pretty much made this a great room to record. And we also have high quality mics here, mm-hmm. um, but a cheap, uh, ATR 2100 will sound virtually the same. As yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So yeah, the ATR 2100, I think now they're like 80 bucks on Amazon or something. Now these microphones obviously are more expensive. How much more are these? And where's the, like you said, the price, you know, value, um, proposition there. I think, so I got these on, eBay as well. So typically you could find open box stuff for, I mean, it'll be somewhere between like 25 and 40% cheaper than the new stuff, depending on, you know, what you're getting. But I think I paid, uh, between 200 and 250 for these. And these are the sure each, each. each. right? Yeah. Yep. These are sure MV sevens. So they have an XLR and USB capability. Right. Mm-hmm. And they sound very, very good. They're similar to the, I think it's the SB7, which is like okay. what you see, like the the real pro podcast. Uh-huh. Using. These look the same. They're just a little bit different and you can plug USBs in. Yeah. And I noticed, I mean, obviously you have the foam on top, which I presume came with it. But it's, then sometimes people have the screen. What? 
is the benefit pros and cons with the screen versus no screen? The screen for these mics, you usually don't need the screen. So if you were, we won't do it now because it'll make a weird noise. <laughs> but if you take off the foam, there's like a metal screen like you would see in a lot of other microphones right. like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the foam on top creates a little more space and you don't get what's called a plosives. Right. So it's the so. P and the B. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And you'll you'll still get it occasionally if you're really like down the barrel yeah, on these right. mics, but um, if you have like a the ATR twenty one hundred or if you have like a Shure SM fifty eight, which is like what you see a lot of um, like venues and pro musicians yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. like that's what they have. And then the cheap version is the Pile. 58 which is the copy of <laughs> okay <laughs> which are like 20 bucks by the way so if you want a disposable <laughs> microphone that works out. really well okay um but you're on the road and you're worried about somebody you know spilling beer on it or whatever you know that's right. an option <laughs> so the the pop filters the little screen those will help a lot if um if it's not one of like the the sure type sm uh, deals. So I, I have used them before and I have a couple of them that I've used uh, with my SM58 or the ATR2100 and it just creates a little wind barrier. Is it, is it better than just, I mean, you you have just one of the foam caps on that one over there. I don't even know which one that is. Is that the Shure 58 or whatever? Yep. It's the the SM58. Right. Yep. And it, it is a little bit better, especially if, um, you know, if you're saying a lot of P or B or singing, I guess. I mean, you see the singing. I was also wondering if they used that so that that gave them a distance, you know, because when you see like in, you know, MTV or whatever, well, I don't even know if they have MTV anymore, but it's dating <laughs> me. Um, but you'll see the singers singing like literally at that. And then obviously they, they know how far away they are from the microphone by knowing where that is instead of being right on top of it. Right. That makes sense to I me. I didn't know if that was the reason. I've never, I've, I don't know anything on that side of it, but it would like, you know, especially if someone was not experienced speaking on a mic, yeah. then, you know, if you put that there, you could just say, put your, make sure your right. nose is touching that right. thing at all times. And then these are dynamic mics. They are. And what is the other, the other type of mic is it what? Is it a condenser? And what is the difference between those? So people, uh, you may have to double check this, but generally um, the dynamic mics are uh it'll pick up the the noise like directly in front of it they have a certain pickup pattern and a lot of times the condenser mics will um they'll pick up like a lot more noise from the room so if so these the were, key is to get these which is the dynamic generally yeah, yeah. Right. and these okay. are great vocal mics in and they lot, don't need power either they um, don't own power because I think condenser mics need power or something like that. Yeah. Right, and a, a lot of these, like I think Have this power embedded, yeah. PodTrack P4, you just flip the switch and it'll provide the yeah. Because I remember um, I have that Rodecaster board, and it, you have to tell it what kind of mic you have. Yeah, for each you know input. So yep, and in you know for this uh, PodTrack P4, it's just Same a flip thing. of a yeah. switch, mm-hmm. and then you're good to go. So. Yeah, anything else microphone or equipment wise? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm just I'm just bombarding you with questions cuz you're a fountain of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did a lot of research before. So, and can I if I can ask you a question now, you said you're doing 
other podcasts as well, helping other podcasts. You have what is Pennies and Popcorn and Alan Donegan's. And and so what is it that um, you provide to them? And is that beneficial to then, you know, potentially down the road or for someone starting out to kind of get involved in like a, a group setting like that, as opposed to just doing it on their own? I mean, what's the... Um, right. What's the reasoning behind that approach? Overall, Carl and I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so we had we had an idea where we saw like what Chooseify was doing with their network on the books and so forth. You mean? Uh, no, just like the podcast network. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah. they had mm. you know uh, Rebel Entrepreneur and I forget uh, Jillian's show uh, something Courage. Yeah, I know. You're right. I forget the name of the show, but I know what show you're talking about. So we. Yeah, I saw what they were doing and then I was aware of like some other network ideas. And with pennies and popcorn, I... Which, by the way, my daughter loves and said, oh, cool. make sure you tell Doug that that is her favorite podcast. Does so. she want to be on it? She, yeah, she <laughs> okay. would love it. She's only up the street an hour. So yeah, she said, make sure you tell Doug that I love that show. It's my favorite show. Perfect. Yeah, so we could hook that up. <laughs> so essentially... We talk together. Uh, so that's Robert and Carla and Pennies and Popcorn. Mm -hmm. they, that's their show. I met them at Rocky Mountain Camp Fi. Again, how this whole world comes together. It's right. crazy. Yeah. So basically, I, I kind of served a little bit as a, like an executive producer, like help them pull some ideas together, help them out with, um, you know, equipment choices, which maybe weren't ideal for what they eventually ended up doing. But... I just helped out from an advisory standpoint. There's some cross promotion. Uh, occasionally I have Carla and Robert on the show sometimes, and then they have links from our milehifi.com, which probably doesn't help a huge amount, but there is like some nice cross pollination. Yeah, I saw that. I saw both other shows were on your, on your website. Yeah. And then for Alan, so he was on the Choose FI network and they sort of changed uh, direction a little bit and everyone's still friends um, and everything's great. I was just actually uh, emailing Brad the other day and Alan needed a new home. So he wanted to continue to produce the podcast. And the home, when you say home, what is that that you're providing as a quote home? What is it? So we're editing the show and we are hosting it. So I had the infrastructure in place and a team and it was kind of a perfect match for what he needed help with. So he wanted to, you know, do interviews, talk to people, produce the show. And I had a team, which is very small and modest, but I mean, it's really just, um, like Carla from Pennies and Popcorn mm -hmm. helping out on the admin side. And then Anastasia, my video editor in Ukraine. So it sounds like a, another avenue that someone could take as opposed to trying to do it all themselves. Right. Now, a typical network in, you know, this may eventually happen, but a typical network is there to like help grow the show and get advertisers. So at one point we were thinking, hey, like we could pool our network together and say, hey, like these are several small shows, but 
to an advertiser, they would get access to the network. People could produce their shows. I can negotiate deals and whatever. I'm not sure if that'll work out exactly. However, it, at least we have um, like a group of people that we could all talk we to. We do have economies of scale to some degree. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, like Carl and Robert wanted to have a little more control over their show. So they do the editing, they do the hosting, like they take care of a lot more. And then Alan does a little less because he's just on the content side. But Carl and Robert wanted to learn more and and just have more control and ownership on like exactly what happens and where the show's hosted. So like Pennies and Popcorn is on their own site in their own podcast hosting, for example. Gotcha. And I would say, I mean, like you, if you if you have a podcast and you know what to do, you could totally help other people and ha- like serve the same role as I'm doing. And I, I mean, you could tell I love pos- podcasting, right? So it makes sense um, for me to help other people and talk about the shows, but I don't have to produce as much. And I could like share what I've learned over the years and help them maybe hone in the, the topic areas or something like that. Cool. This yeah. has been super, super helpful. I really enjoy kind of awesome. understanding kind of the, the inside track on how all this stuff works. So, and man, we could go on and on. I'll, I'll just mention one quick other thing on the YouTube side. Sure. So, which is not, I, you know, and, and I guess the question for me is how important is it to have the video presence as well? Because it does, I mean, I'm looking at all your, you know, you've got lights and, and, you know, uh, obviously recording equipment, cameras and so forth. How important is that? I mean, especially if you're not intending to monetize in any way, it doesn't, I don't think it's, doesn't sound to me like it's that important, but tell me I'm wrong. Right. (laughs) I think the, so I think YouTube can be important because there's a, there's a level of discoverability that you have on YouTube that you don't have on the audio podcast side. And I actually like the audio podcast side better just generally. I mean, I grew up listening to talk radio and stuff. So I I really like the the audio format, but I look good on video now, (laughs) but, but I I love all the video uh, gear and I know YouTube pretty well. So Well, it's just, I mean, I'm looking at it and saying that it looks complicated to me, so. You can keep it very simple, just like the audio side. I would say it's probably worthwhile to at least have like some clips of your show on YouTube. And that can help people find your show, even if they just get like a five minute clip. Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds, from what I understand, again, I am not well-versed in this area at all, but that people do not sit and watch. I mean, we're at an hour 20 right now, so do not sit and watch an hour and 20 of video. They might listen to an hour and 20 of a podcast, but they're not going to. So do you cut it up into multiple bites for people and how do you, how do you do it? Or do you just put the whole thing out there and just like, well, if they watch it, great. If not, I'm not worried about it. We currently, we just put the whole thing out there. The clips will be, we'll get, to it that is probably the ideal way just from what you said i mean people will watch maybe even like five or six five minute clips but they won't watch a 30 minute like they'll watch the equivalent amount but they'll do it clip style right and eventually we'll get to it but that actually has like more editing more overhead 
just in general. And we, you know, we're doing this on the side as a hobby. We're not making any money at this point in time. So ideally Wait until those t-shirts start flying off the shelves. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll let, you, we'll let you know about the t-shirts. So the final, the most important part on the YouTube side, which is counterintuitive. So you, you just record on your laptop. It's fine. You got a MacBook. It's cool. Do that. The most important part is the audio. So people will work their way through a video that they can't see, or maybe it's not 4K or whatever, but if they can't hear you very well, then they won't watch it. So the audio is really the most important part of the YouTube video. Counterintuitive. And I I noticed you have like an SLR camera and so forth, but you're saying that um, even an iPhone or a a, a webcam um, is suitable. Yep, yeah, yeah, 100%. And of course, there's other stuff you got to worry about on YouTube, thumbnail, title, stuff like that. Um, that's a topic for a different day. <laughs> but yeah, the the video component can be as easy as you can possibly make it. And, and literally like iPhones will be amazing. Like it's, it's such I, I've good quality. I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And then as long as the lighting is pretty good in whatever your room. So I used to record when I didn't have all this lighting, we're in a basement, there's no windows, but I used to record like in right in front of a window and like my hundred dollar Logitech, uh, like C920 webcam looked amazing. People would ask me what I was using and it's just the regular one. Yeah. I think I actually have that same one. (laughs) You don't need anything fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Any other questions podcast wise? Uh, I don't think so. Not at this point, but yeah, but it's been a wealth of information and I'm like, I wasn't taking notes, but I'll be able to rewatch this. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Mark, it's been good to catch up. Where could people find you? Um, well, uh, this weekend it can't find Southwest, but obviously this will probably come out after that. But, um, I have a blog, marksmoneymind.com. I have a contact page. If you want to email me, just, you know, that'll come right to my email and that's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm on Facebook uh, under, I think, my full name, Mark Troutman, and on Twitter uh, at Mark's Money Mind. All right. And we'll link up to all that stuff as well. It will, you're, you're usually on FinTalks with uh, yeah. Amberly, right? Yeah. Every Tuesday we're, we do that. Yeah. Okay. So we'll link up to that too if, in case people want to uh, check out FinTalks. Yeah. And, and what, what is that all about? If you just want so to basically a it's, a, it's a Zoom meeting that started off as just like a few of us in a, um, actually the way it really started was um, Amberly and I and my wife were you know, shooting the shit in her backyard. And then we were moving back to Crested Butte after her radiation treatment was done. And she said, we should continue this. I was like, well, why don't we just do it over Zoom? And and then it kind of built from there. But it's basically about, um, I would say we have somewhere between 30 and 50 people on each week. And there's a core group of, you know, a good core group of people. And there's a subject that she emails out, you know, the day or two before that will kind of is a launching off point. And, um, but you do have to get invited to it. So if you go to amberlygrantfinance.com, I believe it is, and fill out the contact page, she will eventually let you in. There's a lot of people that want to get in. So, um, you do have to be let in by her as the host. So, but if you fill out a contact page, eventually she does it so that when people come in, you introduce yourself, you say something about yourself, where you live and a fun financial fact. Um, and 
she doesn't want to be inundated with a ton of new people every week. So, and it also we want to, or she wants to keep the group size manageable. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting problem to deal with. I'm sure a lot of people are on the wait list. Well, we're trying to get her to do a podcast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a little busy these days. Um, cool. Awesome, Mark. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah. um, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. Bye.